This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. On last week's program, we before promoted a return to the airwaves of our, our good friend Stephen J. Harper, attorney, adjunct professor at Northwestern University of Law School, and, and becoming a regular on this program on, on things related to uh, Donald J. Trump and American politics. So without further ado, let's, let's get the conversation restarted here and say welcome back to Radio Parallax, Stephen Harper. Thanks, Doug. Happy to be here. I have um, several pieces that you've written in front of me that I want to get to, but before we do that, I'd like to get your opinion on a piece that was in the Washington Post that I know got your attention on October 6th, citing a majority of GOP nominees, 299 of them, denying the 2020 election results. Yeah, got my attention is is an understatement. There's an interesting sort of rhetorical thing in all this. The, the whole phrase election deniers, election deniers, election deniers, as if that's sort of a legitimate position. We should have just somehow, somehow we, we lost our way on that because they're election liars, period. There isn't anything to deny about the election results. I mean, you can deny it, but you're lying. Right. These are election liars about the election results. And what's stunning about the article that you mentioned, which is the Washington Post analysis, is that of 569 Republican nominees for really important offices, and we can talk specifically about what kinds of offices those are right. uh, in the upcoming election, uh, 299, 53% of them are election, I'm going to call them election liars. One of the failures of, of democracy, if if, if it fails, will be at the hands of, of the of the media, which just doesn't know how to cover this stuff. Let's like being a Holocaust denier. You can say you're a Holocaust denier, but you're you're a Holocaust liar. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And 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 you know what's different about the Holocaust? And, and obviously, it's a it's a, one of the tragic chapters of human history. But what's different about that is when people talk about the Holocaust, they're talking about a historical event. But what's happening now is lying in the present tense about something that is still happening. So the, the, the insidious part of this, uh, compared to the Holocaust, believe it or not, the more insidious part of this is that it's giving a rhetorical hook that persists in, and continues to describe behavior that is simply lying, horrible, deceitful behavior that's misleading uh, Voters, it's misleading Americans uh, into into thinking things that are just not true, and it's having enormous consequences. But let me also say before we get too far down the down the oh oh dear, what are we going to do? Um, all is lost. Let me just say at the outset, they haven't won yet. They they haven't won the war yet. They haven't won the the battle for democracy. It's it's in really tough shape. It's a tough battle. But the, the liars have not yet prevailed. Well, yeah. What's scary about the, the, the article and the fact that so many of the Republican nominees um, are liars about election results is that the, the impact that has is twofold. There's a, there's a short-term effect, which is to say, well, what if they win? Then what's going to happen? You know, they're, they're going to hold on to power. Conceivably, there would be, even among the just the safe 
and likely Republican seats in terms of the people who are going to win, there's likely uh, a majority, if they, all, if they were to win, that would control the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives. Think about that one for a second. And then I, I haven't gone back and studied this recently, but I, I read, and I, and I think it's true, that you don't have to be a member of the House of Representatives to, the, to be the Speaker of the House. What if, I mean, just imagine, what if they all said, hey, let's make Trump the Speaker of the House? Wow. But more to the point, just imagine what a majority in the Republican caucus, and that's already a large number, but imagine if it was an actual majority that could control what re- the Republicans decided if they took control of the House, what they investigated, what they voted on, what they would decide that they were not going to continue to allow to fund, for example, a Justice Department that was investigating and perhaps even had already indicted uh, Donald Trump by the time uh, the the new crew takes office in January. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a staggering proposition. The long term effect, and and we're seeing this we're seeing this every day now, is a, a fundamental upending of the most important institution that a democracy has, the most important thing that democracy has, which is the ballot, the ability of, of voting Americans who vote to actually have confidence that the result will be an election that they can trust. Right. And this kind of deni- denialism that's really just lying um, is is undermining that. And boy, you make enough inroads into that and you have a really hard time having a sustainable democracy. And if you've entered a world where, for Republicans, and I would agree with Joe Biden's distinction uh, of MAGA Republicans versus other Republicans who look at this and shake their heads, although, frankly, there's no question at this point that Trump controls the Republican Party and people like him control the Republican Party, like-minded people control it. I want to jump in at this point and and cite the article that we didn't go and into last week's program, great length about, but it's uh, it was the the cover story on um, uh, and Mother Jones about how people who think that if we got rid of Trump, the Republicans are going to return to sanity is overly optimistic, and they gave the seventy year history of how the Republicans have been stead- steadily moving in the direction that Trump Trump took them further on, but they've been heading that way for some time and are not likely to to, to put it into reverse anytime soon. Yeah, that's right. I, I believe that's exactly correct. You have a number of what I would call conservative, you know, longtime establishment Republicans who have recoiled in horror at Trump and have essentially, you know, the never Trumpers. Well, I mean, Rush Limbaugh and people like him started out bagging on Donald Trump. They just said, this right. guy's a loser. He's a lightweight. But then when it realized how much power he had from his clever manipulation of the media and the fact that the media loved covering because people paid attention to him. And then they all change their tune. It's the intoxication that results from proximity to power. For Republicans, you're seeing it in spades in an unbelievable way as, you know, Herschel Walker goes after scandal after scandal after scandal. I mean, the, the, the Republicans are, have, have literally, in a way, sold their soul to the, to the notion that, well— this guy is going to do what we want done, so, and that's all that matters. Right, and Herschel Walker's qualifications to be senator are, well, rather thin. Thin, I think, is, is probably too, too strong. You know, I was reading this, in this morning's New York Times that, you know, the entire conservative, mo- mostly white conservative Christian groups, you know, they're all on board with this guy. They're all on board. The mantra is, well, you know, yeah, he did some things when he was younger, and I don't disagree with this. It's important, the whole notion of, of forgiveness and redemption and all that. 
I don't disagree with any of that. But this is a guy who says, hey, that woman who said that, she's lying. Uh, oh, can I have redemption now? Um, oh, this woman who said that I had a kid 10 years ago, I never heard of her. She's lying, too. Oh, oh, now can I have redemption now? I mean, you can't continue to have walk both sides of the street on this. And, and as far as his, his 10-year-old kid, you know, there would be a real easy response he could give if what he were saying in denying the truth of these things uh, were, were true. And that is to say, tell you what, I'm going to submit to a DNA test. So let's check this kid the DNA. Let's check my DNA. And let's see if let's do a paternity test. Let's see if I'm really the father. But you're not hearing that coming out of anybody's mouth. No. You're just hearing people say, "Oh, this is just the Democrats trying to grab at an issue to to discredit the guy." No, no. If if you think the Democrats are doing that, here's the real easy solution: just do a paternity test. That'd be factual. See, that'd be fact. Right. That would be reality. Facts are the are the enemy of someone whose goal is, is to promote essentially anarchy, confusion, confusion among voters. That's a key to all of this, that, that article in the Washington Post that was talking about all of the deniers on the Republican Party. They had one, one paragraph in there that kind of struck me. It said scholars, I don't know who they're referring to exactly, but it said scholars said the predominance of election deniers in the GOP bears alarming similarities to authoritarian movements in other countries, which often begin with efforts to delegitimize elections. Many of those promoting the stolen election narrative, they said, know that it is false and are using it to gain power. So they're admitting that they know it's BS, but it's, it's useful. That's exactly right. Even something like Bill Barr, Trump's attorney general, right? He, he waited until after his, after his book came out to tell the rest of us. He told Trump while he was president that all of the, the claims of election fraud and everything else, and they'd looked at all of it, and it was all to use uh, Barr's word, bullshit. Right. But Barr himself has said, yeah, you know, if he's the Republican nominee... Yeah, I'll probably vote for him. Wrap your head around that. I don't get it. Well, uh, but it just shows this this circus Barker type, you know, power that Trump has. He um, this same article mentions that when he excoriated Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell for supporting a stopgap spending measure that included aid for Ukraine, Republicans are wind up lining behind Trump, like they're backing Trump and backing Russia against Ukraine. It's very odd. Yes, I mean, I have no words. My late father-in-law fought in World War II. He was, uh, he was in Italy, and he was, uh, he was a captain, a, a doctor, and uh, ran a mass unit. And I, I can't imagine what he and others like him, how would they be reacting to this? That, you know, they had friends and colleagues and comrades and fellow soldiers, you know, who died in defense of democracy. And, you know, the enemy where we've learned that the real enemy, the most formidable enemy, is within well, 174 of these Republicans that we mentioned at the top of this a piece, about 299, are in safe Republican seats. 51 are in, in contested races, but we could certainly see four weeks from now, Election Day, that the House, God forbid, swings uh, swings GOP. Right, and then you're going to hear you're going to hear more Hunter Biden hearings. You're going to hear I, I I don't even know. I mean, a couple of a couple of uh, members of uh, Republican members in the House said that. That it, it, they think it's probable there would be they would someone would be proposing a, a bill of impeachment uh, that they would investigate against Biden. Well, and as you say, we might see a new Speaker of the House come January named Donald Trump. Who knows? Uh, that probably isn't going to happen because he has his sights on on bigger things, obviously. But as I said, once once you undermine faith in the fundamental and and you know the uh, the world leaders around the world, authoritarian leaders around the world, have taken a cue on all of this stuff. You know. 
Bolsonaro in, in Brazil. Oh, sure. Said, well, you know, we don't know if we can trust the result or not. Sure. Let's see how it turns out. You've got this situation in the United States where you've got, for one party, the GOP, Republicans, there are only two possible outcomes. Either they win or the other side cheated. That's it. That is a prescription for democratic disaster, and I mean democratic with a small d. Right. Well, let's move away from the post and, and talk about some of what you've written here. There's a oh, great. You've got some pieces in Common Dreams, and by the way, after I read these two pieces, I I did contribute to Common Dreams. <laughs> I thought they they could use some help. My contributions are all you know donations to my my in writing. contributions are all donations. Yeah, Fair enough. Writing. Fair enough. Well, you've got a great piece on the whole. Mar-a-Lago saga of these these documents. Uh, my producer came in and said, did you realize that Trump was offering to trade documents that he thought would exonerate him in Russiagate? And this came as news to me. But uh, among other things, that's uh, that's what's coming out of this, this fiasco. And there's some just amazing things about these documents that I wasn't aware of until I read your piece. Can we talk a little bit about that? I haven't updated it since mid-August, but of course it's taken on a whole new chapter because... Trump was able to forum shop his way into a judge whom he had appointed that threw all sorts of monkey wrenches uh, into the whole process of the government trying to secure documents that were never Trump's property. They're the, they're the property of the people of the United States. But the you know the the short form version is 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 becoming more damning by the minute. Trump took these took this stuff. He had people telling him he couldn't take the stuff. He had people telling him lawyers telling him he had to give it back. We'll have to see how this all plays out. But, you know, he had lawyers who certified falsely, apparently, to the government, to the U.S. government, Department of Justice, that everything he, everything he had, he'd, he'd given back. That turned out not to be true. You got a search warrant, and it goes, it just goes on and on and on. And so now, in a, in a, in a, as a really a last gasp, Trump went into a different judge, not the one who approved the search warrant. And, and a judge whom he appointed, and it's she's become his advocate. It's astonishing. The Eleventh Circuit, uh, they, it, after she ruled, the the, the uh, Department of Justice took her crazy and bizarre ruling. Again, this is another one where former Attorney General Barr even commented that it was that that her her order was a piece of crap in terms of its analysis and its reasoning, and and its outcome because it essentially said, you know what. I, uh, I think we ought to. I think we ought to just put the brakes on all this stuff. And I don't want the Department of Justice, and I don't want anybody else following up to investigate to see what might have happened with these do- classified <laughs> documents, what Trump might have done with them, uh, who might have seen them, what foreign powers might have them. And you know, it's just it's it's just become lunacy. Just, I have to say, it reminds me of the scene in This Is Spinal Tap when they mentioned that someone was uh, was murdered. And uh, they and they said looked at it and said, well, the authorities said best best leave it unsolved. <laughs> yeah, except here's the thing, this stuff, this is the highest level of classification of intelligence. This is the kind of stuff that you have, and it's it's marked human, h u m i n t, some of the stuff, yeah. which means it's human intelligence. These are real live people. It takes years and years to develop these kinds of resources in different countries. That is, that is American assets uh, who will be helpful in terms of different national security functions. And we're talking about the functions that keep the country safe. Um, and this guy's, this guy's, you know, Trump's attitude is, these are mine. These are mine. And, of course, the, the last couple of days he's been confessing. He said, you know, I had this stuff on Twitter and in his speeches. He's, he's been confessing. He's, you know, I had all this stuff. 
All they had to do was ask for it back. Wow. Thank you very much. I now have my closing argument in your criminal trial. What is this talk of this crazy judge order working its way toward the Supreme Court and Clarence Thomas maybe getting a role and giving it a hearing? Uh, What's the story on that? Yeah, here's what happens, or what happened. Uh, She issued her order. The Court of Appeals unanimously, including, get this, two Trump-appointed appellate court judges, unanimously just shredded her. It's very diplomatic, you know, the way court, the way judges write about other judges, even when they reverse them, is typically very mild. Uh, this was an unqualified and, to me, as a practicing attorney, really rare kind of rebuke that just said, I mean, they, they use sentences like, in, in their opinions, so they, they would say things like, <laughs> I don't know where she got this idea, you know, that kind of stuff. Wow. So anyway, so they they flipped it around and said, no, you can't stop an ongoing criminal investigation into or national security investigation by the Department of Justice. They get to go forward. They get to look at those documents now that were the subject of the search warrant that Trump has had for a year, almost two years, and has has shown who knows who who else. Yeah, now the people who really matter and want want to get to the bottom of it, they can now look at it. And so now Trump's lawyers most recently filed a an emergency motion to stay aspects of the judge's order. And, and as it turns out, the way the Supreme Court is organized, each justice has responsibility for a particular circuit court of appeals. And as it happens, Clarence Thomas has res- the, sort of the first responsibility for the, the 11th Circuit, which is the one that in- includes uh, Florida. So the, initially the application went to him, and then I don't think he'll do anything with it. I think it, he'll, he'll do one of two things. He either won't do anything with it at all, or he'll pass it around, and the court will decide by a vote of the, uh, of the full Supreme Court, they'll decide whether it's something they want to even look at. And yet Clarence Thomas could say, yes, this deserves a hearing, and it would go forward. No, I think they need four votes. For it to go for the for the court to take it, and you don't you don't see that there's that there's three other <laughs> people on the well, court. Well, that, that that's possible. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to handicap these things given the way things have gone. I think they will have a hard time given the tremendous assault that the Supreme Court's integrity has been undergoing for the last several months. It's at an all-time low. I mean, it's just it's in the tank after the Dobbs decision and Alito's pseudo-political religious statements, I think that uh, even some of the more conservative members of the court might say, you know what, there's no reason for us to touch this yet. And the easiest thing for them to do would be to say, look, let this all continue to develop in the lower courts and in the Court of Appeals, and we'll take a look at this maybe, but only after there's a full record developed of everything it is that we should be considering. as." Okay. Yeah. So doing nothing is an option. Yeah. Doing nothing is a viable option, and I think it's the most likely option. We're speaking with Stephen J. Harper, attorney, professor of law, and author extraordinaire on the subject of Donald J. Trump. And meanwhile, the Department of Justice has asked for an expedited appeal by the appellate, the Court of Appeals um, on the rest of the, the issues that they have raised in terms of objections to the, to the lower court. Judge Cannon was the lower court judge. Uh, who did all this? And they they apparently are expediting it, so it's gonna it's on a fast track in the Court of Appeals, which would be another reason for the Supreme Court to say, you know what, this thing's on a fast track in the Court of Appeals. Let's not do anything. The Supreme Court won't say any of this if it re- doesn't hear it. It'll just say uh, request, you know, denied, and and then 
people have to try to guess what that means. They're unlikely to explain why, but they might. You could get a dissent that explains why, or a dissent from from Thomas that could say, well, here's why I would take it. Here's why we should consider it. That's possible. But I don't think the Supreme Court will take it. All right. Well, as we move away from Mar-a-Lago, I do want to cite one paragraph you put in the piece that <laughs> I have to quote from. No, you said, ironically, as Trump spun his Mar-a-Lago lies, he sat for a deposition in the New York Attorney General's civil suit that threatens his wealth. Trump refused to answer every question except his name. He asserted his Fifth Amendment rights against self-recrimination more than 440 times. Yep, not bad, huh? Here's the best part about that, in my view. That trial is, go- is, is going to go forward shortly in New York, and, and that, that's against the Trump Organization. And in a criminal case, you could not use the defendant's refusal to answer under the Fifth Amendment. You couldn't tell the jury about that. That's not something you could use against them, against a defendant. But in a civil case, you can. And in a civil case, you can, you can read every one of those questions and answers. And that's, gonna, that's not going to bode well for, the, for, for his prospects in that civil case. Uh, where where money damages are the only, he's not, you know he's not going to go to prison as a result of uh, whatever happens in the Trump organization case but he could it, it could be the beginning of the end of the Trump organization well at least something's taking place uh, in New York I, I guess that the the more serious case everybody was thinking Trump was vulnerable for that that's that's dead in the water the state of New York case seems to be although every once in a while there's a little bit of a percolating thing that that suggests that, you know, I, but I think it is. I, I don't think anything, you're, you're going to see anything out of Bragg. All right. Well, before we talk about the missing texts surrounding the Secret Service, I just want to pose this not exactly rhetorical question of why the hell isn't Trump indicted? I mean, at this point, the elections are coming up. They're four weeks away. Everyone thought this would, you know, affect the midterm elections, what Trump's legal woes. And yet, as we speak, he remains unindicted. True. I wish he'd been indicted sooner too. I do. I believe he will be indicted. Okay. I, I, I really do. Okay. I think. I think he'll be indicted, almost certainly, over the the Mar-a-Lago documents stuff, if nothing else. I think there's a decent probability that he'll be indicted over his role in January 6th. I think the interesting, the most interesting one. This would be the Department of Justice on both of those cases. The interesting one to me is the state case down in Georgia. That could come to fruition sooner. You know, there's no way to know. We do know from reporting that 20, somewhere around 20 of his, of Trump's aides, I don't know if it includes Trump, have been notified that they are targets, including Giuliani and others. That a target, when you're a target of investigation, you're, you're right in the crosshairs of a potential indictment. That's what they have to let you know that. They're going to be indictments down there. I just don't know whether they'll include Trump or not. I think they could. I think the evidence is there from what I've seen. They've got a lot more than what I've seen. And, um, but I think the, the one that might happen first, and, and unlike, unlike the Department of Justice, which does feel some constraint as, it gets, as the proceedings get closer to, to an election day, Fannie Willis in, in, the, in, in Georgia does not have any of those constraints. So hard to say. Um, well, I know in the weeks to come, we're going to hear from our good friend and sometime regular contributor, Greg Palace, who's been very involved. In, and I'm sure, I'm sure Greg will have a, a thing or two to say about it. 
I, while we were while we were talking, I was able to confirm that in fact you do not have to be an incumbent member of the House of Representatives to be Speaker of the House. Although yeah. every speaker so far in American history has been. So there you go. Hey, maybe he'll bust another norm. That's what they call it. That's what the media calls it. They don't like to call it things like breaking the law. Right, busting a norm. Steve, you read a, a piece here and also in Common Dreams in August about the missing text messages. There's a lot that can be said about this. Let, let's say a few things about what happened and how it is that all these text messages and things that are supposed to be preserved seem to have vanished. Isn't it interesting how this has sort of disappeared from everybody's radar? Although it does appear one of the members of the January 6th committee did say that they had, from other sources, been able to uh, apparently locate, find, uh, outside the government, probably, uh, the missing text messages. These are the text messages that would be between the secret ser- uh, between and among members of the Secret Service and anybody else. And the, the critical question, of course, is what happened to the text messages prior to, during, and in the aftermath of the January 6th insurrection. And lo and behold, they, they disappeared. It was a supposedly, we were told initially, a routine device replacement mechanism. So somehow you got, I guess you got a new iPhone and you didn't, it didn't keep any of your old stuff. Um, at least that was, the, that was the explanation, that this would have been a long-planned transition, if you will. Yeah, you, you cite fall 2020, according to Secret Service, it began planning to migrate all electronic devices to a new system. Exactly. Now, the important thing to know, and then, and, not, and then afterwards, of course, we've now discovered there were similar, similar disappearances of text messages involving the Department of Homeland Security. Now, the important thing to remember about this is that the, the people running these agencies are, are Trump sycophants. If you wanted to have the right people in the right place at the right time to sort of clean up the record, if you had a sinister or cynical view of the world, you might think that something like that could e- easily have happened. It's quite peculiar, uh, and I know that uh, IT analysts at the time, this, and this was just a couple of months ago, were saying they can't conceive of transitioning to a new system where you were relying on, and this is supposedly what happened, they relied on each individual Secret Service agent to decide for himself what to back up and what, and what to not worry about backing up. And the truth is, it all should have been backed up. And, you know, it's the same as it's presidential. It's the same kind of you know records act stuff. And, and do we not have a national security agency, the NSA, which is monitoring seemingly everything under the sun? You think that they would have a hand in this? You would. Yep, you would. It's very odd. The question that, that remains, I guess, is number one: Why is the guy, the Trump appointee, who was sort of central to all this stuff when it was happening, why is he still there? Uh, that's not a bad. A question. Kofari uh, is his name. Yeah, he's quite a guy. I was astounded at the number of times he appeared in this article, uh, and, and, and always in a bad way, it seems. He was the inspector general in the department of uh, DHS. His prior experience includes having been an advisor to Arizona's Republican governors, uh, Jan Brewer and, and Doug Ducey. He wasn't exactly a, a helpful or cooperative force in terms of trying to get to the bottom of things. I think we'll just have to see whether it goes anywhere. And at this point, there's so much, so many other bigger things out there. And that's sort of the key to Trump, right? You, just when you think you have something that's really scandalous, boom, off pops, uh, up pops an, a one that's even more scandalous. And it pushes the earlier one out of the, out of the news cycle. That's often the way it goes. I just have to quote one or two more things that you wrote here. I'm referring to uh, 
uh, Trump appointed Joseph Joseph Kafari. You said late February, the DHS Department of Homeland Security notified Kafari's office that the test messages of Trump's most senior DHS officials, Acting Secretary Chad Wolf and Deputy Secretary Ken Cuccinelli, had been lost in a quote reset unquote of their phones when they left in January 2021. Kufar didn't bother to inform Congress or or look into the matter. Yep, see no evil, hear no evil, <laughs> say no evil, speak no evil. And and you'd mentioned before the unusual nature of the fact that Tony Ornato had gone from being a secret head of the Secret Service to personally employed by Trump in the White House. I don't believe that's ever happened in history, has it? Not to the memory of prior Secret Service agents and, and the people who've run that organization. Yeah, I don't think it's ever happened before. But that's what happens. You know, you get your you get your loyalists, you know, right where you want them. Well, and Arnado's the guy that when Cassidy Hutchinson said, you know, uh, they were talking about he and Bobby Engel talking about how Trump almost strangled his driver. They they both said, oh, that that she that, that's not right. But then. Um, when they were invited to dispute the story under oath, they, they both got lawyers and both shut up. That's right. Great stuff. You can't make this kind of stuff up. I wish we could make it up. I wish it were all a work of fiction. I, I, every once in a while, I sort of wake up thinking, oh, that was all a bad dream. That can't happen in America. Yeah, well, guess what? Well, a piece that you did not write, but I just want to just cite for your commentary, was the, a piece on Michael Flynn. There's a front line currently out about about General Flynn, and the more the more I read about him, the less the more amazed I am at, at some of the things that this guy's done. He's he's now in, deeply involved in the Stop the Steal movement. Yeah, where to begin? This was a guy who was Trump's initial national security advisor, the country's first national security advisor under Trump. Yeah. Uh, you know, the most interesting, maybe one of the most interesting aspects of Flynn, and and someday if anyone wanted to, they could go back to the to the Trump-Russia timeline that I have at BillMoyers.com and just click on Flynn's name and see where he pops up and how he pops up over and over again in terms of connections, various kinds of connections to Russia. But you know, when then-President Obama and President-elect Trump met in the White House, Trump apparently mentioned Flynn or that he was going to appoint Flynn or something like that. And, and, And Obama specifically said, be careful about that guy. I can't remember where it was reported, probably in the New York Times. Be careful. Be careful with him. Uh, he liked uh, Mattis. He liked the appointment of Mattis as Secretary of Defense. Obama did that. Uh-huh. Um, but he said, yeah, just just be careful. Just be careful about Flynn. We should be careful about him right now because what he's engaged in is stitching together Stop the Steal people, Oath Keepers people, uh, Christian fundamentalists, and, and nationalists that want to just take the country in a uh, an authoritarian direction. He's, he's, got, a, he's got, a, got his hands on a lot of pies here. Yeah, he's certainly gone around the bend in terms of, you know, whatever people thought of him four or five years ago. It's very hard to square his behavior with anyone who swore an oath as a, an officer in the United States uh, Armed Forces to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Something else I want to throw at you is the article on this excellent Mother Jones issue about, well, about things Republican, things Trump, etc., a piece mentioned the, the, the Yale psychologist, or maybe she's a psychiatrist, who had said that Trump had mental issues and was just basically thrown under the bus for doing so. And the various psychiatric authorities came down on her and said, you know, they invoked the Goldwater rule, saying yep. you can't make these sort of statements. But the, article, the point of the article was we should look back at it and say she's completely vindicated. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and, you know, and he's not the only one who said that. If you go down the 
on the roster, even just in a Twitter feed, you can see people who have weighed in on this kinds of on these kinds of issues, qualified people who've weighed in on it. And I was reading somewhere, I wish I could remember where, somebody had written that it, it, it's a perversion of the Goldwater rule to say that someone is is unable, who, who's in the, who is qualified and able to do so. It's, it's a perversion of the Goldwater rule against commenting from a distance uh, for people who who can see clear, obvious, and straightforward signs of of the kinds of mental illness that can be dangerous. You shouldn't shut those voices up, and and I think I think we're seeing why. Of course, the problem is that the 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 MAGA the MAGA Republicans, the Trump Republicans, don't care. They don't care what anybody else says about anything. So you're not going to do anything to affect to reach them. So and at some point, you sort of ask yourself, well, who who is the audience actually for this stuff? Uh, for anything I have to say, who is my audience? Um, and maybe your audience is just the people that who you want to remember that democracy is really important. Um, and once you lose it, it's it's very, very hard to get it back. Well, a lot of people are working really hard to move us away from democracy. And one other thing I just want to, maybe the last thing I can ask you about is that same issue. Had an article about Peter Thiel and Silicon Valley and his great ideals for a, a living in a, an Ayn Randian kind of world. He's backing a guy in Arizona, Blake Masters, who's, I guess, running for, for Senate against Mark Kelly. He's just promoting this idea, this Silicon Valley idea, that we are the people that rule the world, and by God, we ought to. Yeah, and, and the we is a pretty small circle. It's a very small circle, and um, it's like, well, me and my friends, you know, <laughs> the, we're the ones. And Blake Masters and I was, I was watching the, the interview that uh, Face the Nation that uh, Major Garrett did with uh, the woman, the, the, the election liar who's running for governor, Carrie uh, Lake, former Fox News anchor. Um, and, 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 you know, again, it kind of goes back to the failure of journalism. You know, he just, he, he just threw questions out, right? And I'm sure he thought, he must have thought when he wrote the questions, they were hard-hitting and they were interesting questions. And then she just goes on and on and lies, just lies. And, and no follow-up, no challenge. It's almost as though the the, the media has, has has gotten the notion that all their their only real job is to just uh, report what people say. Period. As if they're all the same. As if they're all entitled to equal weight. Let everybody make their own decision about what's true and isn't. All I can tell you is this guy says the Earth is flat. Yeah. Now what does this next person say? Well, no, it's not flat. Here are the pictures from from space. It's round. Well, you know. That's your opinion, and everyone's tired of your opinion. And then a guy like Chuck Todd would say, we're just going to have to leave it there, um, which is always his segue out. Well, um, yeah, we were talking in preparation to having this conversation about CNN now announcing that it's going to move uh, more, to, I guess, more even-handed. I, I forget the exact phrasing they're putting on it, but it means we're going to move to the right, and we're going to stop being so critical. Yeah, they're going to call it, they're calling it centrist, more centrist. CNN is now part of Warner Brothers Discovery. And CNN is part of that. And one of the members of the board is a billionaire Trump supporter, uh, John Malone. They haven't announced much of anything, but if you watch what they're doing and and what what Malone and this and the, those who are now in charge of of CNN have have said at least a little bit uh, for publication is, well, we're we're trying to move it, you know, from. Uh, from a liberal bias to a more centrist bias. Well, CNN, has, uh, to my to my view, I've never seen it. There, there's no, not been a liberal bias on CNN. They may no. have a bias at times when they say, well, you know, Trump said this and it's a lie, 
And if you call that a bias because what they're saying is true or giving context that is necessary to understand that Trump is lying, that's then I guess, sure, okay, I guess we're all guilty of liberal bias if you want to use that definition. Well, there's quite a bit of bias out there claiming that the earth is round, so we maybe need to address that. <laughs> Malone, I think, said in, a, in, a, in an interview that he thought Fox News was really the example of a, of a network that has moved more to a news news. The CNN guy said that? Uh, that's, what, that's what this billionaire investor apparently uh, said. I was just reading it. It was wow. in Vox. Wow. It was in August 26, 2022. The title, it was in Vox, of why billionaire John Malone's shadow looms over CNN. Wow. While you're doing that, I want to quote the comedian who some years ago is describing this sort of phenomenon and said, yeah, and they'll come on and say like, and now for another view on Hitler. Yep, that's the idea. Malone, by the way, is always quick to say that he's not directly involved with anything that happens on CNN. So no. if you see things happening there, it's not because of anything. Oh, doing. no, he's hands-off guy, I'm sure. This was it. They quoted him in an interview in the, in the New York Times, an earlier interview. It said he had nothing to do with, this was when, after Brian Stelter departed. You know, I know he was their fact checker uh, at CNN. And that he said, well, he wanted the news portion of CNN to be more centrist. He's not in control or directly involved. And then he doubled down in another time story a few days later, complaining that CNN had melded opinion and news and holding up Fox News host Brett Bayer as a reliable news centrist newscaster. I shudder to think that's our future at CNN. Here it is. The U.S. needs Fox News or something like it because otherwise everything is leftist, he told the Financial Times. <laughs> Wow, but you know he doesn't need to be directly involved. It's it's like um, it's like Trump or it's like a mob boss. You know you don't have to you don't have to specifically give the order. No. Everybody around you, you know the the sycophants around you know what you want. Yeah, and they execute. Wow. Well, we had an election coming up in about four weeks. I think we need to have you come on after that and 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 see see if this is going to turn out as badly as we we fear, and, but hopefully not. And. Um, Try and guess where we're going to head, because I, I'm, I'm frankly a little scared. Well, that, that just means you're paying attention. Here is the quote I was looking for earlier. This is on Malone again. He offered some programming advice for CNN. Here's, here's a quotation from that. He said, I would like to see CNN evolve back to the kind of journalism that it started with and actually have journalists, which would be unique and refreshing. Fox News, in my opinion, has followed an interesting trajectory trying to have news news. I mean, some actual journalism embedded in a program schedule of all opinions. Wow. There you go. So that was before uh, Warner Brothers Discovery took over CNN officially. Um, and, it, and there you go, right? It's sort of like they now know what he wants. He doesn't have to say anything more than that. You know, all Trump had to do was tweet. And, you know, people were, you know, jumping up and down to, to try to, to do what he wanted to do. But just remember this. Remember this, Doug. And then I, and I leave your readers with this optimistic note. One of my... Uh, former partners at my law firm used to say, things are never as bad as they seem, and they're never as good as they seem. <laughs> what I would say about the current crisis of democracy in America is, it's pretty bad, but the, the bad guys haven't won yet. Democracy is still intact. You can control this. Everybody listening to your program has a, has a vote, and your vote can make a difference. And you can make a difference. And if, you're a, if you have the ability to do it and can send a buck or two to a candidate who's not an election liar but is running against one, so much the better. But your vote is your, is your most powerful weapon in all of this. And 
your vote and your and your ability to 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 reason and listen to facts and don't give up never give up Stephen Harper, always a pleasure. We're going to take that and, and, and cross our fingers and see where things go in the next four or five weeks. And have you come back and talk about it. I look forward to it. All right, sir. Thanks Thank again. You, okay. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We've got plenty more. Stick around. <laughs> 